This is the Little Moments Count radio podcast, created in partnership with community radio stations throughout Minnesota. Each episode, you'll hear interviews with early childhood experts on how to support the important brain development that takes place in the first 1,000 days of life, just through Little Moments every day. Learn more at littlemomentscount.org slash podcast. Thank you so much today for tuning in. Welcome to the narrative on KRSM Radio, where we amplify the voices, stories, and cultures and conversations happening in our neighborhoods. We focus on communities that have been historically ignored, misrepresented, and erased by traditional media. I am your host, Andrea Pierre, and today's guest is a very special person, Carrie Zeeland Johnson. And this episode is presented in partnership with Little Moments Count. Little Moments Count is a statewide collaborative focus on helping parents and caregivers learn about the importance of brain development in the first three years of life. Nearly 80% of brain growth happens in the first thousand days and small moments of interaction like talking, playing, reading, and singing help create the pathways that build up a child's brain during this early stage of their life. If you want to have more information about this, you can visit littlemomentscount.org. Um, and we're just so excited to be partnering with Little Moments Counts to host this conversation focused on early childhood development. Each month, I'll have a new guest on the narrative to talk about their involvement in Little Moments Count and how they view the role of early childhood development, creating bright futures and strong communities. So hello, Carrie Zeeland Johnson. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having you. Thanks for coming in. And, you know, it's good weather today. The rain hasn't started just yet, but it's... I say bring it. Wash it, all that salt, sand, grime away. <laughs> exactly. It's like my least favorite time of year a little bit just because the snow's yes. all dirty, the, the, the stuff's outside melting that's been frozen for a while, if you know what I mean. It's a weird time, right? Yes. Let's get a little bit into your bio. Um, so if you don't know who Carrie Zeeland Johnson is, she has served on various consultant roles to help individual organizations and schools achieve equitable outcomes for over 25 Five years in Minnesota. She has served on the school board for a, P, a PK through eight charter school, led home visiting programs, and directed and founded accredited preschools and other community-led initiatives. In this role, in these roles, she has ensured full implementation of culturally and linguistically responsive curriculum and executive effective staff development. Excuse me. Big words for me today. <laughs> linguistically. I love it. Currently, she is the community impact program officer at the Greater Twin Cities United way and coordinates the early start, the start early funders coalition being a parent and grandparent has given her unique lived experiences and insights on both viable community solutions and persistent systemic barriers impacting children and families Carrie is also a public policy advocate with a focus on social emotional learning and teaching the arts and equity in education and mental health so welcome, Carrie, to the narrative here on KRSM. What a great bio, first of all, like 25 <laughs> years and just all and this. Counting. Wow. <laughs> like, seriously, what made you want to get into this work? You know, for me, my journey um, started as a parent. So I got into this work, because, first and foremost, as a parent. I was a teen parent 
Um, I was a young parent raising uh, five children by the time I was 26 um, and co-parenting with my mother-in-law, my my partner, uh, my my stepson's um, mother as well. Uh, and also, you know, a lot of people have a lot, a lot of things to say about what you're doing as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, they, when they say it takes a village, it, it truly does. But sometimes you don't really want to hear everybody's, you know, <laughs> opinion, opinion <laughs> about what you're doing. And and for for me, um, all my kids are, are kids of color and uh, have um, various um, exceptional needs, you know, neurodiversity and different ways of learning and understanding the world. And just uh, it was a crash course uh, on how to parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a crash course on how to parent. Nobody teaches you how to be a parent, trains you how to be a parent. There's no license to be a parent. Um, so it was a really a crash course on what it meant to support them and see them as, as individuals. Uh, it was a crash course for me on what it meant to navigate the schools and the, and the resources. And, um, you know, I, I think I was a little blind to uh, as many friends and, and family that I had that were of different cultures and races than me growing up. I, I certainly was blind to their, their many of their lived experiences in um, in the school systems and in the human services and and whatnot and so seeing my my children starting to experience some of those things, seeing my friends and family experiencing those things, us having real conver- candid conversations about the hurt and the harm in the, some of those systems, um, you know, made me want to to know better, do better. Mm. And um, I actually went to school to be an architect. That that was my dream and. I wanted to do that because I'm a creative person. I love the arts. Um, I, you know, designed my first home when I was 16 years old. And so I had a, a teacher who told me, you could do this. This is something that, that you can do. Uh, but when I became pregnant um, as a teen um, and, and I was in a really unhealthy relationship, um, I, I, I didn't think uh, I didn't carry the same belief system mm-hmm. with me to say I, that's something I could do. I actually had an opportunity to uh, be an intern, I had a, a local firm had asked me to be an intern, and um, I had to I had to turn them down because because I was having babies. Yeah, and it just it didn't it just didn't seem like uh, something that was going to be possible. Mm-hmm. And so I finished school um, when I started my senior year of, of for my bachelor's degree. Um, I had um, a case manager at the time who was helping me make sure I had childcare. And um, I found out I was pregnant and start at the start of my senior year in, in college. And she said, you can't have this baby. Oh, my goodness. And I said, what do you mean I can't have this baby? She goes, you'll never finish school. You're not going to accomplish your goals. Da, 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 da. And I said, you know, here's one thing I, I, you know, people need to know about me. When you tell me I can't do something, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to prove you wrong. How many children did you have at that time? Did just the one? Or? I had one of my own mm-hmm. and then my at the time my uh my sister-in-law uh and then my uh stepson. Okay. Yep, so I already was r- responsible for 3 and co-parenting mm-hmm. and you know and and I was on the bus. Let me tell everybody right now. <laughs> I didn't have my driver's license. That's so hard too. I was a on the bus, the I was taking three buses to get a turkey and 
(laughs) two buses to get my name in a drawing for a free bike, you know, whatever, whatever it took. Right. But um, she told me I could. And I said, no, you know what? I'm going to have this baby. And I did. I finished my senior year, nine months pregnant. I graduated two weeks before I delivered. Um, And and at the time when my child was born, I didn't know anything about uh, I mean, I knew about learning challenges, right? I knew about dyslexia and um, learning difficulties. I knew about my own learning challenges and stuff. Um, but my my daughter, uh, when my daughter was born, very soon I realized she had some challenges. She had um, vision issues, hearing issues. She had language and speech delays. Uh, you know, she had some sensory stuff going on. Mm-hmm. The school ended up giving her an educational diagnosis of autism, uh, Fraser gave her a diagnosis of ADHD. You know, um, so here I now, not only am I navigating the, the systems to help me get my basic needs met, but, you know, navigating the school systems and the support systems for, for her. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I had to get into it. And so when there was an opportunity for me uh, to apply to work at an organization that was actually doing home visits for me, they were coming into my home and supporting me as a parent. Mm-hmm. I I had my bachelor's degree. I, I you know, I, I, I'm like, I could do this. I can do what people are doing. They're coming in and talking to me as a parent. I had a belief system that I, I could go go do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I applied and I got it. And I started doing home visits and I got a lot of ex- really wonderful training on child development, uh, developmental delays, uh, prenatal care, all the, just the whole wraparound cur- curriculum. Um, and that was with Way to Grow, which if you don't know about Way to Grow, Great go, go look them up, right? Um, that The wraparound holistic supports that they, that they were doing um, for me and my children mattered. Mm-hmm. It made a difference. And then I became a home visitor myself for them. And, um, you know, that advocacy and what I, you know, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'm not going to be an architect. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to be in early childhood. <laughs> and I ended up it's going back to school. It's a different kind of school. architecture, though. Yep. Like it of, is. Uh, of, uh, of your life, you know what I mean? Those early stages of life. Noticing those milestones of your child, your own child being delayed, certainly. And then getting the wraparound services. But you're helping them build a new life. Like, not what is expected, I guess, um, when your child is differently able. Yeah. And I did go back to school. I ended up going back to school. I actually was recruited by the University of Minnesota to do a community-based uh, research project that helped be the founding research for the Minnesota Reading Reading Corps, um, the Seeds of Early Literacy. And um, I went back to school. I got my master's degree in education, minored in ed psych. Um, you know, but, at, you know, at the same time, there's still, like, these growing pains of the kids are getting older. They're having different needs. They're not doing as well in school. Mm-hmm. And that advocacy, uh, you know, part of that work and advocacy, had to, you just had to constantly be an advocate for school. I, I always had to have jobs that I could leave yeah, and not get in trouble. I couldn't do a clock-in, clock-out job. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have any financial stability. You know, and I was working my way off, off welfare back then, too. Mm-hmm. I was on the, what they called the welfare to work, right? Even though I'm going to tell you right now, welfare is work. It's a lot of work to be getting benefits from the from the system. You have a lot of math you have to do. You have, you can't go over. You can't do this. You have to report report things, right? Like, the, it was a full-time job, mm-hmm. really, on top of a, a full-time job uh, of navigating those systems. But um, that advocacy piece of, you know, I had to leave a job and, and, you know, for an hour or two go to the school. Yeah. 
or the teachers are calling me, your child this, your child that. And um, I never even thought of my kids as being, like, naughty kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing, you know, the quote-unquote over here because I I don't like thinking kids are bad. You know, Mm -hmm. big eye-opener for me was in being in a preschool classroom, and I went in for the first time, and a little child... Um, little African American boy tugged on my uh, my shirt mm-hmm. and looked down and said, "Teacher, teacher, I'm bad." And it just so broke my heart because at how at, at at age of three or four have you already mm-hmm. you already have it in your head that you're bad? Who has told you what messages have you heard that have already told you that you're bad? And I I went in. I'll be honest. I was not a pleasant parent. Mm-hmm. When when the, when I don't even know why the schools called me, they knew I was going to come in, and probably not act right. Yeah. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Because when I was younger, I didn't I didn't really care what you know. The, I just said what I wanted to say, and, and how I wanted to say it. I would cuss teachers out and principals out, and you know. Uh, and but part of that was as I felt offended, I felt hurt, I felt attacked, I Judged. felt judged um you know that came from a, a a really raw place but no not my child mm-hmm. you know not you you know what, what did they do well they did this well what yeah why weren't you watching them why weren't you there you know I, they gave away so much power mm-hmm. by calling me in and i remember being on the other side of that work where i was going in and observing teachers now i'm in the education world and i'm in the mental health world and i'm observing teachers and i'm they're giving power away Mm-hmm. I remember, I'm going to date myself with this story a little bit, but I remember a teacher going, I'm going to call your mom. And he's like, go ahead. Go ahead, call her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. He was just bored because he finished his test early. Wow. But he needed to behave for the duration of the, of, while everybody else finished the test in order to go to recess. Mm-hmm. He's like, go ahead, call my mom. You want, you want her pager number? You want her phone number? You want, <laughs> you know, like, like he, he just didn't care because... He, I think, in the in his heart of heart, he knew his mom had his back. Yeah, he knew his mom was going to come up, and it wasn't going to be him that was in trouble. It was going to be the teacher who was in trouble. And sure enough, when recess time came, he was on the wall. Mm-hmm. The first thing the parent did when they came, when they got there, they looked at their child standing on the wall and told him go play. Yep. And so he ran to recess. She over did an override of the teacher. Mm-hmm. Now there's going to be some people out there like, oh, we can't have that. We can't have parents you know, overriding teacher authority. But we also can't have teachers overriding parent authority, right? Like, there has to be this partnership. And also, like, yeah. taking away recess, if you've been sitting in a desk all day, mm. isn't that great for, like, learning. You do need some of that gross motor right. movement before you sit down to do that fine motor movement like that. Yep, and 82% of our schools in this country still use recess as the form of punishment. Yeah, which right? I think we yeah, need to Yeah, removal stop. of punishment, you know, yeah. removal of recess as a form of punishment. Yeah. And don't use food as punish for punishment. Don't use, Thank you. Don't use recess as a yeah. form of punishment. There's a lot... Um, of ways, other ways to get the behavior that you want, I feel like, too. And I do know that, like, you know, you know, having BIPOC or biracial children yourself, um, you see the difference sometimes in how they're treated and how they're disciplined. Like, it's a well-known, studied fact that children of color are more disciplined than others. They are. I've seen it. I've yeah. seen it. And, and it's just like you look for the behaviors, you're going to find them. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of thinking, too, just for you, having been that young parent, 
having to come down, you know, having a child that also is differently abled, um, and being on both sides, being the parent and now also working in the field. Um, what are ways for educators and parents to really connect? You know what I mean? A, a little bit better and with some yeah. more understanding to help these youth. You know, um, I have heard parents have very negative things to say about teachers in the presence of children. Mm-hmm. That does not help the child. Doesn't help the child. You know, parents can say, in, you know, in one sentence, education is important. But in the next sentence, they're putting down the teacher or they're being negative about the teacher. Um, that's confusing for a child, you know. And we need to model model what we value. If we value education, if we value, uh, you know, um, an ideal like respect, mm-hmm. well, what does respect look like? And um, parent-teacher conferences have changed, right? Post-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, we're, we're seeing more and more conferences are being uh, virtual. Uh, I wish. You know how many buses I had to take to get to conferences? Right. Like, I wish there was virtual conferences. But um, taking advantage of those conferences, taking advantage of the new ways in which schools are communicating, mm-hmm. whether it's text or some system, like, um, you know, talk to your teachers. They're human beings. A lot of them are parents themselves, right? Yes. And vice versa. Parent, you know, teachers also um, need to see their parents as partners in this. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really wish that parents um, or teachers valued parents as their child's first teacher. Mm. Because, and that parents know their kids very well. They know their kids. And, you know, it's universal that all parents want their kids to be happy, healthy, successful, whatever success, you know, means, right, Um, and safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, parents want that. Now, do we all agree on the ways to accomplish those things? No. There's a lot of, you know, diverse perspectives on what does it mean to accomplish those things. Um, And and teachers, the same thing, like those relationships, if it's parent-teacher conferences, if it's sometimes, if it's going on the field trip, if it's being a part of the um, um, parent-teacher organization or PTA or, um, for me, I joined the school board now. I know not everybody's going to you know, go get on a school board. But I, I served on my, my kids' um, charter school board for, for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, that was great for my kids. They might not think so. But they never knew when I was going to be at the school. Yep. And that 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 was a luxury that, uh, that's a luxury I know that not all parents have. Not all of us can do school pop-ups. Mm-hmm. But um, here's the thing with kids. Um if they if they know you've popped up one or two times or three times even in a school year, that's enough. To, that could be enough to set a precedent that they don't know when you might pop up. Mm-hmm. So even if you can't pop up ten times, twenty times, like like I was, <laughs> um, no, it doesn't help. pop up. You can set the precedent that you're there and you're aware and you're um, engaged. Yeah, and you know you you your teacher know knows your parents, your parents. I remember one of my kids being so surprised when they are like, you two know each other? (laughs) 
But it's yep. good. Yep. I, like, How do you know each other? I yeah. worked, I worked we, at my children's school. I worked in the special ed classroom. But, yeah. you know, I, I worked in their school. And, you know, they didn't have a lot of um, absences. Um, I was able to really kind of check in with them throughout the day. And I feel like even just, like, especially when my kindergartner, I was able to, my youngest, I was able to be there for her for her kindergarten. And she has a lot of anxiety, and I think it really helps her kind of relax during the day that she can just wave to me and, you know, be walking with her class. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit, for those who are just tuning in, let's say this, uh, you're listening to the narrative here on KRSM Radio. Um, I am speaking with Carrie Zeeland Johnson, just an amazing background in education and mental health and advocacy. Um Let's talk a little bit more about this little brain development thing in these first 1,000 mm-hmm. days. Um, what can parents do really to maximize their child's brain development? You know, I um, I gave a lot of thought to this because one of the things um, that I, one of the skills I developed over time, I was not good at this from the beginning, but I got better at, at it as I went along, um, is be, being present being a present parent. Oh, and that phone will take you away from everything. Yeah, long before phones, though. I think my cat's annoyed <laughs> with my phone. <laughs> long before phones, right? But I um, I always worked two or three jobs. I was always engaged in a lot of other, you know, extracurricular stuff. I had my kids in extracurricular stuff, you know, um, and I got better at it as I went along. And certainly doing the work, um, as you know, as a home visitor, and then doing the work with the early literacy projects and whatnot, I became more in tune with you know those um, those moments, those little moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I even wrote a curriculum a long time ago called "Seizing the uh, Teachable Seizing Teachable Moments." Right, like I became a little uh, OCD with with teachable moments. Um, but you only have like a few seconds. You have like sometimes eight seconds, sometimes 15, sometimes 30. Sometimes a kid will give you five, right, before you've lost them mm-hmm. in their attention span. And so for me was finding those little moments to be uh, present. And, and, and I'm not a singer. You can tell by my voice, number one, first, I'm very hoarse. But I'm not a singer, but I love music. Mm-hmm. And I sang a lot to my kids. I made up name um, name songs. So they each have their own song that has their name in it. That's super cute. And nobody taught me to do that. I just, um, and, or maybe somebody did, and I just don't have consciousness of it. But I made up songs. Each of them have a song with their name in it. And I, I, I sang songs that I knew, uh, at least a verse two or, or, or two uh, from memory. So it wasn't, you know, radio or uh, I from an iPod or mm-hmm. I can even say cassette or <laughs> CD, right? Um, it was just songs that I just knew that were on my heart. Yeah. And um, I there's little little glimpses where we know that those things make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And I always encourage parents to write those little moments down when you feel affirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but singing and then reading, you know, I was in the early literacy stuff, so I was like, oh, read, 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 read. Um, and I used voices and my kids would bring books to me, read this, read this. And I would read the same book three, four times, you know, um, Bismarck, the Buffalo, you know, (laughs) and, um, they, they just knew the, the, the voices and they wanted me to read those to them and they, they would read the books to me too. Um, so, so singing and reading and, and then also just part of that being present is, is just being playful. Yes. Like I, I, I think I was um, trying to shed some of the disciplinarian 
uh, parenting skills that I had, you know, grew up with and learned learned with. And my my kids would probably um, say, "No, you didn't." But um, <laughs> but I tried to shed some of that and be playful. You know, I, I think back to spring break and winter breaks where we were we'd be in our PJs for days, mm-hmm. right? And and we'd have pillows and blankets on the living room floor and playing Crash Bandicoot and. And NBA Jam and, you you know, right, (laughs) Madden. No, I'll take it back. Double dribble. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> right? Like, uh, we, but we would be on the on the floors and eating junk food. We didn't even know what day it was, what time it was. We're like, oh, my gosh, you guys got to go back to school in two days. We got to get back on the, the sleep routines, you know. But be, being playful with them, being mindful, and, and, and you know, but that was before mindful was, was a thing. But just being present with them. And there's times where you get that little glimpse of, you know, that little moment, like those those things that I'm doing, even though I don't get it, maybe I'm getting it wrong 80% of the time, but 20% of the time I'm getting it right today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's moments, you know, I think of little things I've written down where um, my daughter, I think she was like 10 or 12, and she was like, Mom, Dad, when I get grown, I'm going to stay home and take care of you guys. Aww. You know, and I'm like, that's sweet, baby girl, but no, you're not. You know, like, you're going to yeah. be moving out. You're going to be moving on. Or when my uh, when my dad passed away. Success is them having their own life. Yeah. Their own dreams. And, you know, when my dad passed away, um, my, do- my, my, my daughter was five. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple months later, my grandfather passed away. His father passed away. And I was reading a story to her, and it was a story that I had read to her many, many, many times, and a story that my dad had read to me when I when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I just all of a sudden got so emotional. Mm. And my daughter assumed I was emotional because my grandfather passed, because it was so, you know, so soon after. She's only five years old, and wow. she puts her arm around me. She said, Mom, it's going to be okay. I know what it's like to lose a grandfather. Oh. And that empathy response that she had at five was like I even cried more mm-hmm. when she, when she after she said that to me, right? But that that empathy response that was a little moment right there that made that was so affirming to me as a parent that I must be doing something right yeah. if my five year old has this kind of empathy in her heart mm-hmm. and co- was connecting. Yeah. So even though we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. What are those little moments where we can stop and connect? And those little moments really don't have to be where you're spending a lot of money. It really is just about, yeah, being silly in the kitchen while you're cooking and, Mm -hmm. you know, narrating your day or just, um, you know, talking, laughing. Like, everything doesn't have to be so serious. Like, sit down now, it's reading time. Like, no, like, you know, you do, you can make it goofy. You can make it fun. Hey, they can be on their heads while I read. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I kind of remember the Spike Lee book with the little baby. And he's like, please, baby, 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 please. Like, I had to read that book so much to my oldest daughter. I kind (laughs) of knew it by heart almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also just thinking just like about in your work, what have you seen as the long-term education and health benefits from getting these first 1,000 days correct um yeah with students and children you know um the even though in my mental health work uh, we you know I, I did uh what's known as children's therapeutic supports and services and that's where kids who are three to 21 
uh, can have their, their medical actually pay for a skills worker to come into their home, into their school, into their communities, um, and uh, support them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also do family sessions. So parents are learning the skills they need to help support uh, any, any skill deficits that their child may have, whether it's focus, self-regulation, all those things. Um, I didn't always have kids in the early childhood age range when I did that work for 15 years. I often had kids that were, you know, uh, a little older, you know, starting like third grade all the way up to 21. And one of the things that just kind of solidified my belief system in early childhood is watching how much they struggled in those older years, in those um, elementary and junior high and high school years, and just me wondering what if they had early interventions mm-hmm. what if they had because so many of them did not I, you know it's in their it's in their summary right when we do the intake that they did not go to head start they did not go to a uh, high five they did not go to a high quality you know uh, accredited or or four-star parent aware program or something um, they didn't have any early childhood and yeah. so in my heart of hearts I always wonder what if they did what what if they had that opportunity the first three years of life, the first five years of life? Um, you know, we know we say 80 percent of the brain is developed by the time they're three and 90 percent of the brain by the time they're five. You know, no pressure. Mm-hmm. Right. But if they had those opportunities, would they ha- be having the same behavioral challenges they're having now, the same social emotional delays, um, the same uh, mental health diagnoses, right, mm-hmm. from the DSM-5? Would they have the same number of expulsions and suspension rates and uh, other challenges, right, because those first uh, 1,000 days are not just important for the health mm-hmm. of the child. Like, we uh, we know in Minnesota, um, more than uh, 50% of, of Minnesotans have one or more of adverse childhood experiences, right? Yeah. And um, there's about uh, 12,000 three-year-olds with one or more adverse childhood experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that equates to about se- more than $17,000 in, in in medical costs, right? Wow. So why wouldn't we invest in early childhood, high-quality early childhood programs that are trauma-informed, culturally responsive, linguistically supportive, right, mm-hmm. uh, so that they can get that uh, those that, that support and that structure and those, you know, that helping and that healing mm-hmm. while they're babies, right? Yeah. I'm thinking, too, just about, you know, with early, like, ECFE, I noticed, like, all, like, any white moms that I went to that I knew were doing ECFE. Not a lot of the black moms were. I didn't have time for ECFE. Exactly. I was trying to survive, right? I had bills to pay, things like that. And, like, I was like, oh, y'all go, like, y'all I loved it through ECFE? Like, wow. I loved it. I supported it. I <laughs> I tried to get as many families as I could enrolled in it. And I sat in on a lot of ECFE classes. Um, and I wished I was there with my kids. Mm-hmm. But I was often there as a, you know, as a community st- on, on, on my work time, right? Yeah. And uh, I, gosh, I wish I could bring my baby to me, to work with me today and be here in this class. Um, But yeah, you know, there's something for everybody. Mm -hmm. And ECFE is for some people. Mm -hmm. And for other people, you know, they they have to go a different route or they're working. And they have to figure out another way to to connect. To bring that community in and connect. Because I'm just, 
for me, I just kind of see a lot of young parents that I feel like need to be pulled in and not be judged and not feel uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, and I see kind of like that was the gap for me. Like, I'm like, I don't want to sit there with a bunch of like stay, even though I was a stay at home mom myself. I'm like, I'm not going to sit there with them. Like, we have nothing in common. Not really realizing that those opportunities also for me was a little moment almost to like really connect to with other people um, who were going through the same things. Cause it's, it's very unique when your ch- children are young, you're trying to figure things out and it's stressful and you, and community does help, you know, yeah. I mean, wherever you can find it. Yeah. You know, when I was in school and college, I didn't feel like I could relate to any of my classmates, mm-hmm. you know, because I was a parent, because I was a young parent, they're talking about they're going to go do this or their dad's going to give them money to go on spring break. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I wish my dad give me some money to go fill up my gas tank. You know, right. like I had a completely different reality. My context was completely different. The things I worried about were completely different. Um, but one of the things that I um, I really valued about the home visits that I got because home visits break isolation, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, having a home visitor come in for me was um, a little daunting and, and, and a little scary and a little triggering, you know, for uh, some of the um, adults in my household who, when an outsider came in, that meant um, intrusion and uh, in, in invasiveness, right? Like, we're in your business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to see some things we don't like. And, you know, I'm, I always did feel judged, like, oh, my house has to be clean if somebody's going to come in. And, you know, and clean, not like, you know, like it's dirty, but clean, like I don't even want a crumb on the counter. Yeah. Right. Or you're going to cancel the visit because you got a pile of laundry or, you know, a week's worth of socks like unmatched. Stress. <laughs> it was. Stress and, and anxiety. Right. And mm-hmm. so but when you um, can have a relationship with somebody. Mm-hmm. You start to, like, understand that they don't really care about those things. They care about you. And I always encourage people, if you're isolated, look into what home visiting programs are available because then they can come to you. You don't have to go to them. One of the greatest things about the CTSS that I mentioned is those uh, mental health practitioners come to you. You don't have to go to the office. They come to your home. There'd be times where I would be with a family that has three kids that were on my caseload, and I would be there eight hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm just doing life with them. I'm breaking bread. I'm, uh, we're, we're having highs, lows, laughing, crying, cl- doing Saturday chores. Um, they didn't care what their house looked like. You know, and one of the things I carried with me, I heard it when I was a teenager, is people won't um, care what you know until they know that you care. Okay. And I, I always took that with me because I feel like if I could, if somehow families could see I'm just a regular person, mm-hmm. I'm just a mom trying to do this too, uh, then I'm not a threat. Yeah. And I think too, like, I think because you, I feel like we have a lot of shared um, things that are happening like on our, our motherhood journeys, I feel like um, that resonate with me, you know, being a non-atypical student, um, having children that you're trying to raise and pay bills and do things, being on the system, you know, needing social services like mm-hmm. for health care and food. Um, you know, what? how can parents best navigate social services, our welfare systems? Like what advice can you give for that? Yeah. Um, 
you know, I mentioned before, it's a full-time job. And um, just like any full-time job, there's people that you're not going to like. <laughs> there's uh, things that are going to... it's their money. Like, yes. it's not your money, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember telling one of my caseworkers, you know, I do work. Mm. She's like, you, 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 yeah, you work. I said, I report it, right? And she, I go, what does that make me? She goes, what do you mean, what does that make you? I said, it makes me a taxpayer. Mm. You know, because part of... Part of um, you know, navigating these systems is also navigating people, their attitudes, their belief system. Mm-hmm. And I really had to, you know, they adopt, like, get some thick skin around not caring what people thought of me. Because at the end of the day, I still want that bike. I want that turkey. Mm-hmm. I want my wick. I want my food stamps. I'm piecemealing all. I want my check from the work. I want my A on the paper I just submitted. Mm-hmm. Um and um, I'm piecemealing all these, pu- you know, this this is a puzzle, you know, a thousand piece puzzle of all the little different resources I, I have. You have to piece together, you know, um, I would take clients of mine uh, to go to the food shelf. Not, mm-hmm. I'd stand in line with them mm-hmm. just to show that just to have that humility. Yeah. And I would get some food for my kids the same time they're getting food for their kids. You know, and uh, I remember I got a turkey, and the lady's turkey got stolen from between her legs when she was lo- ro- loaded into her car, and I, I just gave her my turkey. Yeah. You know, and, you know, doing things in community, having relationships. One of the things for me for navigating the systems is developing relationships with the people on the other side of those services. I knew Diane at the Salvation Army in Northeast Minneapolis. Like, I knew uh, I was doing community work, so I was on action groups and boards and, you know, other kinds of things. So uh, we have to humanize each other, mm-hmm. right? We have to have relationships. And when I transitioned from being that parent who was navigating those systems and accessing those resources and then was starting to be uh, do the home visits, I remember showing up with a client and they're like, oh, you know what? We don't have any bread today or something. I was like, no, actually, I'm here with so-and-so, and um, she's trying to get apply for energy assistance or whatever. <laughs> like, that lady already knew I was coming for bread on a Wednesday. That's funny. <laughs> but, I, but I was like, no, I have a new role. I whip out my card. And, and they're probably proud for you and cheering yeah, for you. Yeah, like, and, cool. you know, but we're, we were doing that work in, in community, mm-hmm. you know. And I had the, 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 the privilege of whatever community I was living in, I was working in. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference. It, it, it does, and so those relationships, like, have your go-to people. And I had go-to people. I was like, you know what? This lady told me I can't do this, 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 and this. Is that true? Because my other friend told me this, 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 and this. And she'd be like, Oh, that's because you have to call on the third Friday of the month, and do 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 do. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Use those relationships to learn the cheat codes. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, instead of down, down, um, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, right? There's so, some people who know what that means out there. Um, yeah, there's cheat codes. And, and um, you know, the other thing, too, is I had to lose the guilt. Yeah. I had to stop feeling guilty for needing and asking, needing resources and asking for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel personally, yep. too, once I took that, I call it, like, sometimes I feel like I have a chip on my shoulder and... um 
once I remove that and really just kind of say what I need um, and just say it because I need it, like this pride and all this other stuff isn't getting me anywhere. This ego isn't getting me anywhere. Like I have goals that I want to achieve and I have to ask. I have to say it because closed mouth don't get fed, as my mama used to say. <laughs> um, if you are just tuning in, you're listening to the narrative here on KRSM Radio. We are doing our Learning Little Moments Count segment. We have Carrie Zeeland Johnson. Um, I do want to talk just because we're getting near the end, but just your work at the as the Community Impact Program Officer at the Greater Twin Cities United Way. And also talk about a little about the Start Early Funders Coalition. So is there anything you can tell us just what you're doing at the Greater Twin Cities United Way? Great organization. Yes. Of course. But yeah. Yeah. You know, um, United Way, um, I never actually even imagined working for United Way. And when I first came um, in 2019, um, I immediately had the opportunity to write my story uh, to potentially be like a campaign speaker and talk about my story and stuff. And in in that process, I I took a look back and I glanced at the the list of nonprofit organizations in the the Twin Cities in the um, nine-county metro area. Uh, uh, there was over 30 organizations on that list that I benefited from mm. support and on my parenting journey. And then I took another look back at it, and there was probably 20-plus orgs on there that my, my kids had benefited from or were be- currently benefiting from supports and services. Got it. And, you know, uh, we talk a lot at United Way about uniting as change makers, right, advocating for social good and really developing solutions to address challenges no one can solve alone. And when I looked at that list of all those organizations, like, yeah, we can't solve, solve these challenges alone. We, we have to do this in community. We, you know, uh, I like to refer to the community, and you'll see it on my LinkedIn, the beloved community, right? Like, how are we in relationship with one another? How are we supporting and loving on each other and seeing each other and humanizing each other? And we can't, we can't solve the problems alone. And, and communities have solutions for the challenges that they're experiencing, and we need to trust and invest in, in those, those, um, those innovations and those solutions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we uh, at United Way, we, we want to fuel lasting change, right? Um, I talk a lot about navigating systems. Well, there's so much time and energy to go into navigating systems. We need to change the systems that need navigation in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, it just shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't take be a full-time job to navigate our systems, right? It should be it should be easier. Um, and we really want to, um, to do that in a way... Uh, where all people are thriving regardless of their income, their race, um, or their place, right? Like your zip code shouldn't define mm-hmm. your outcomes. Your your race shouldn't define your outcomes. Your income shouldn't define your outcomes, right? Like we should all be able to th- thrive together here in, in the state of Minnesota. Um, and with in my work in the pro- as program officer, I'm privileged to work with so many community partners Majority of them in my portfolio are early childhood education mm-hmm. um, and parent education. Um, I do have some in some of our other impact areas like housing and um, food security and um, economic um, opportunity and um, our career and future readiness, which is our older older kids in education, right? Um, but um, 
the work that I'm doing specifically with uh, the Start Early Funders Coalition, that's a group of 19 philanthropic partners from across the state of Minnesota. Uh, really coming together um, and to try to leverage our unique perspective as funders to really advance public policy, uh, community support. Uh, we envision a you know a state where all our children in Minnesota have an equitable and strong, healthy start in, in life. Um, you know, we often we often joke and say babies are bipartisan. <laughs> they are right, like <laughs> babies don't care. When we get into public policy stuff, we get into politics. I am I am the first one to tell you I don't like getting being political. I don't like I'm not a politic I can tolerate it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh but um the 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 thing the the at the end of the day when I say we want ha- happy, healthy, safe, successful children. Yep. Right? That's regardless of your politics, regardless of your faith, regardless of your race, your 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 you know, your gender, any any intersections of your identity. We we really Want what's best for kids. The problem is we ha- we struggle with how to get there. Mm-hmm. We struggle with getting a unified voice around, you know, how to get there. Um, and so th- these these philanthropic partners are coming together to try to get that unified voice on how to actually get some progress. When you talk about all of Minnesota, I've recently been very curious about um, just rural Minnesota and how services. Are like I know, like it's raising kids is raising kids, but I feel like rural Minnesotans are very much overlooked sometimes when it comes yes. to social services. And these and they're still they're still welfare, they're still WIC and all that happening in rural Minnesota. But I feel like it's more or less um, the narrative on it uh, has been that it's an inner city problem. Yeah, we're more alike than we're different, right? When we think about the challenges that are in uh, rural and urban uh, Minnesota. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, I think about isolation. You can be just as isolated in the inner city mm-hmm. as you can be in, in rural Minnesota. Uh, you can have just as many challenges with transportation mm-hmm. in both places. You know, if you have to drive an hour to get to a high quality child care program, or you got to take an hour and a half bus to a high quality, you know, the challenge is still there. You still have to start your day way earlier than a lot of other people who can hop in their car and be at work in 20 minutes or, or 10 minutes or, you know, a, a half hour. Yep. Um, and then the hours that, that programs are keeping, right? We know businesses are, you know, we, we know restaurants have changed their hours. Mm-hmm. We know store uh, shopping, you know, malls and places have changed their hours. They've changed their hours. They've changed the hours you work. They've changed the hours you're, they're open. They've changed the hours you're, work, you're working. Um, and we also know we have, uh, you know, child care, um, uh, you know, dry deserts, right? Like we have, we have places where it's you, you can't find a slot. You can't mm-hmm. find openings. You're on a waiting list. You can't can't get in. Like so we share a lot of, of challenges that are, uh, that are, you know, that are similar. And the solutions uh, are, are similar too, right? We have to think about fully funding early childhood education. And when we talk about that from a start early perspective, we always say, uh, we always frame it in that we don't pit one program against another, mm-hmm. right? We had talked about ECFE earlier. Scarcity complexes, yep. right? ECFE is great for some. Mm-hmm. For others, home visits are what they need the first three years of their child's life. Mm-hmm. For others, they need a part-time preschool. Others need a full-time preschool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need um, all-day child care, all week long. They need evening child care so they can get that 
that money in the second shift or the third shift because some second, third shifts pay more money. Yeah, they do. And so a parent might want that more money, but then who's going to watch their kids in the evening, right? So there has to be a multiple uh, way in which we think about, you know, the needs during the early years and families have to get the right size, you know, the right size program or the right size organization to, to, to support, you know, their needs. And, you know, our advocacy is, is really grounded in, in that there's a, a multiple delivery model, right? There's something yeah. for everybody. I'm really hearing, too, from you, just like meeting parents where they are, um, having different options, being able to, you know, adjust to their schedules, their needs, um, what their life is like, looking at that whole person and the framework of them. Um, can you, you're kind of going into to it now, but can you just tell me about some of the public policies that are happening right now in Minnesota around early childhood and how people can get involved and help if this is something that speaks to them? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I want to lift up our um, Start Early has a, a parent and provider advisory group, and that's a growing group. We started it in the middle of the pandemic. With the, it lives on Facebook um, and, and a private group. Um, and uh, I'll give you a, a link to uh, our enrollment for folks that want to register. So when you post the, uh, the the radio show, you can people can find that. So if you're a parent with a child not yet in kindergarten, and if you're a provider in any uh, part of the early childhood education field doing any kind of work, uh, we welcome you to the advisory group. Um, and in that group, uh, we listen to, you know, we want to amplify the voices of the parents and providers because those are what the public policy uh, public policy and other uh, big P policy, little P policy, right, <laughs> affects parents and, 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 and those um, serving and supporting our, our children and families directly. We want to hear how that affects them. And we d- design our agenda uh, off of, you know, their feedback and their input and those trends. Um, Greater Twin Cities United Way takes the same approach. We do a survey with our with our community partners every year and have them tell us what um, public policy issues and what challenges um, organizations are facing and what they're hearing from families and and, and parents um, and and individuals that they're serving so that we can be really in tune with what uh, public policy issues need to be lifted up. Um, Right now, uh, we have, I want people to really pay attention to the Great Start um, Minnesota. So if you wanna find anything about that, uh, you know, search the hashtag uh, Great Great Start MN, and um, you'll you'll find it. But we're really promoting um, and supporting. There's a huge omnibus bill right now uh, that's on the table for early childhood. Um, there's many components to it. There's things in there for family, friends, and neighbors. There's things in there for reimbursing the reimbursement rates of childcare providers. Um, things to keep the um, you know scholarships are in there. Uh, things to help teach, uh, retain, and recruit. Um, early childhood educators to the field um, and, and compensate them well. So addressing our workforce issues. Uh, you know, I did the math once. Uh, if you have a preschooler and an infant in, 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 the, uh, in the Twin Cities here in, in a high-quality program, it's about 28 k a year. Okay, so that's more than college, right? That's more than a college tuition. Um, you can send two kids to the U for that. Um, but we, we don't want parents paying more than 7% of their income Towards childcare costs, and if you pay twenty eight k, that's you need to make four hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't know any parents. I'm sorry, maybe you do, but I don't know anybody uh, who's a parent of young children who makes four hundred thousand dollars a year to be able to afford twenty eight k out of pocket. Yeah, childcare is the 
very, very yep. expensive. And yet, and yet we still pay, um, you know, if you want to put it in perspective, what the average child care worker makes, we actually pay people more money to watch our cars in the parking lots than we do to care for, educate, and nurture our children during the most formative years. Yeah. So we, we have to do something about the wages as well. And so um, a couple ways you can get engaged. Um, we have a lot of resources online. Uh, you can say, find my legislator, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, a landing page in there for how to, who's, you just know who your legislator is, right? Find your legislator. Find out who they were, who they are. Um, you can also do a bill tracker, so you can track bills and find out what they're doing. Child Care Aware of Minnesota has a bill tracker on their website uh, where you can just pay attention to the early childhood education bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, there's other bill trackers if you're interested in, in other bills. But, um, you know, I always encourage people uh, to, uh, to reach out to their legislator, your constituent. You know, they will make time for you. Yeah. Um, and not to be afraid of legislators. They're real people. They have real jobs. Some of them are dentists. Some of them are teachers. <laughs> some of them, you know, uh, lead nonprofits. Um, they have this isn't their only job for for a lot of them. They're, work, they're doctors. Right. They're doing other things with their day. Um, and they're, they're just regular people. And um, there's a lot of misinformation out there and and that people latch on to when we get into the political uh, you know, arena. And um, it's really meaningful for them to hear your story and hear from you on how a policy is affecting you for, for the good or for the bad. Yeah. And so just talk to them, uh, write it up in advance if you want to, uh, handwrite it, type it, print it out, um, slide it under their door if they're not there when you get there, mm-hmm. um, email them. Um, Those things all do All kinds work. of stuff. It matters, Yeah. It does work. Yep. So that website is greatstartmn.org if you want to know more about that legislation that Carrie's speaking of. Um, greatstartmn.org. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or talk to you more, Carrie, is there another way to get a hold of you or is there any other websites or anything else that you want? Well, you know, we... Um you know, I'm listed on the, the Greater Twin Cities United Way. I have we all have, all of us staff have a little bio page, and there's contact um, information on there as well as the Start Early um, page and um, you know Facebook. Um, we have our uh, I run the Start Early Facebook page, um, so you can reach out to me in Messenger that that way. I'll I'll leave my card and my information for when you post it up up later and mm-hmm. um, as well as a link to our our public policy agenda and, and some of the other things that I've talked about today. Yeah. This has been so informative. I just I love your journey because like I said, a lot of what you have been through kind of resonates with me. Um I love people who are not the atypical students who are out here really just doing care and love to their community, being able to bring their whole self because you know, just as someone who's worked in the therapy world, I used to be in the occupational therapy world and things like that. There's not enough people who can be real. Like, there's just like a weird type of, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I don't want to say it on air. But it's just yeah. like, it's just good to be people who have lived experiences near your own, um, who I feel are in it for different reasons um, to really just care for our youth. Um, just really appreciate you coming on the narrative. And um, I want to thank everyone else who was listening to the narrative today. There will be a recording of this show at littlemomentscount.org backslash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Little Moments Count, 
you can visit their website at littlemomentscount.org. And again, you're listening to The Narrative here on KRSM Radio. And we'll be back again next month with another Little Moments Count uh, segment on the uh, first Tuesdays of the month here. So thank you so much, Carrie. Thank Um, you. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Little Moments Count radio podcast in partnership with community radio stations throughout Minnesota. You can find the Little Moments Count radio podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at littlemomentscount.org slash podcast.